climbing. Let's get this bitch. Yep. Another day in Oscar Bait Town. Yep. Birds are chirping. Birds are chirping. I've got my, my yes, pod, the nipples back. My pod recording shirts on. <laughs> Thank you to our uh, title sponsor, Ice House. <laughs> it's really I know I've said it before, but if we we have to do it the the way Modest Mouse did it where they, you know, would never let anyone, they did eventually, but would never let anyone use their music for ads or anything until when they blew up in our youth, finally, and then Budweiser reached out to them for an ad, and they were like, no, fuck you, and then Budweiser was like, we'll give you free beer for life to your whole band, however much you want, and they were like, all right, you got to do it. are like, fine, Johnny Mark can join the group, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rip. I drive out my car into a cop car day. <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna put float on on the, the final song. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a good way to end this actually. <laughs> yeah. Damn. We're that's back, friends. Okay. Hopefully all of you uh enjoyed what was at least uh on my end uh quite a fun and uh slightly illuminating mocap conversation hmm yeah it's like we uh, almost talked ourselves into some of these yeah we surprised ourselves we thought it was just gonna be a a beowulfathon because we're both so hot on that movie but uh there's more there was more as it's what always happens with zemeckis it seems if we just sit down and talk for a couple minutes we find it i'd love to know how long we talked about pinocchio <laughs> I think for a while. <laughs> okay. If you missed, if you thought you were going to skip mocap Wonderland, you want the Pinocchio talk because no one's talking about Pinocchio like we're talking about Pinocchio. Yep. And really, even just more to the point of what's wrong with the world, is just literally no one's actually talking about it. Everyone's just posting about it and then reacting to those posts about it. We're giving it a giving it a shot to actually be conversed about yeah so we're not saying it's welcome to marwin but we are we're not even saying we're still not even saying it's good we're just saying it's worth talking about it's it's very much worth talking about if you hate disney yep. you know give this one a shot because uh it don't like it either yep um so by that merit pretty cool uh it's also funny how like anytime like a real filmmaker steps in and I know Tim Burton has lost it a bit, but even his movie, his Dumbo movie, which I keep telling you is not that bad. I'd put it on the same level as Pinocchio. I believe you now only because of Pinocchio. There's a, there's similarly a very angry bent to that movie. I'll, I'll give you benefit of the doubt until I try. The only reason I'm skeptical is because I haven't seen Tim Burton emote <laughs> in a movie whether angry or otherwise, in a long time. So that's why I'm skeptical. Because the Mecca yeah. is always on fire, no matter what. Tim Burton, from what I can tell, stopped, put that fire out. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look in order. <laughs> I mean, I, I stopped caring probably after Sleepy Hollow, maybe. Yeah, Sleepy Hollow is the end for me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're not talking about that. All right, now that, we, now that we're uh, really getting off track here, let's... Uh, Climb into probably outside of a certain Forest Humps uh, episode, the thing we've been most excited to do this whole time, which is to talk about four, four Zemeckis films, um, probably three of which I think we'd both comfortably call at least knocking on Masterpiece. Uh, if not fully. If not fully, Masterpiece. Honestly, I could maybe slap that title on three of them and not on one. I'd get I'd give it to two for sure, and then we'll see at the end of this conversation about a third. I'll get you on that third. <laughs> you know, I'm almost there. We'll talk. About it. Let's, let's. That's do also it. the one I've seen the most, so I'm really dialed into that movie. Yeah, it's it's okay. We'll get to it. So we are we're finally out of mocap zone, kind of. I mean, yeah, we are. We um, are. We are. So it's 2012. Our good boy hasn't made a movie. Is it 2012 or is it 2009? No, I think it's 2012. 
For flight, 12. This is proof we don't actually take notes. <laughs> this is kind of where we strive is we just kind of go off the dome. So yeah, 2012. Okay. <clears throat> so he don't get bogged down in the shit that everyone can just look up. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to make it worth your while to listen to this. And if you're listening to this to find out if flight came out in 2012, then bye. You have to not listen to us or blank check or any of these other phone pockets anymore. And you have to turn in your Janus tote bag. Yep. To your local cinema. Turn it in. Yeah. Your play, your Jacques Tati playtime tote bag has to be turned in. So, yep. yeah. Okay. Let's not. <laughs> so, let's go. let's go. It's 2020. Um, We're both so, years out of college. Yes. He's, uh, He's back. He hasn't made a movie with, you know, like this in 12 years. He has been making movies, but, uh, you know, those are different as we alluded to and did a whole episode on. So he's returned and he, this is where I think he takes his aim at the gunning for gold genre, the name of our fucking podcast, Oscar bait, but not how we spell it the other way. (laughs) and i really do think like yes you can say that you you can you can't say it's a genre but it does kind of on its accident created its own subgenre of people who just are trying to make these movies that are going to only win oscar gold for the studio now flight is him trying to continue that trajectory because it kind of starts this with gump unwittingly and now he's back with uh with denzel in a story that you're gonna see a lot of probably from movies like this well not this story but the idea of it how it was sold to us in the poster where it said from the director of forrest gump and castaway and it's like oh it's gonna be about addiction it's gonna be tough and it's gonna oh it's i oh i can't wait to see this really trad boring story and one of the worst posters in Hollywood history. One of the worst. Truly. He's really good at making bland-ass posters. Well, he doesn't do it, but they... There's they a there's a reason there never has been and never will be unless it's from before he started doing this definitely intentionally. There's a reason there are no Zemeckis posters on either of our walls. <laughs> good point. Good point. I have a flight. I have a flight poster. It'll never go up. It's hideous. It's very hideous. I mean, maybe <laughs> above the toilet, but even there, I have a middle of the stone woman one. So it's like, oh, good choice. Yeah, we've got a we've got a young thug poster above the toilet. Oh, damn. <laughs> He's that's very poetically apt to his position right now. Yeah. Oh, um, but. This movie is, uh, yeah, this guy is a pilot. He has a drug drinking pussy problem. And he uh, he lands a plane that, you know, might have been the result of his problems. I guess most people have seen this movie, so I'm not going to, like, worry about spoilers or anything. The crux if of the you movie- haven't watched Flight, though, truly stop this shit right now. Watch it, then start. If you haven't seen Flight or if you think you've seen Flight, and you're wondering in this moment, like, why clearly we're so excited to talk about it, then you missed it when you watched it. So watch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts off so wonderfully with that uh, that gray sky. I mean, there is, in a movie and in life, there is nothing more depressing and sad than being in a motel hotel next to an airport. Yeah. Also, the movie opens... Do you know what the first shot is? I mean, you just watched it, but it's a nipple. Well, after the flight, well, for, it shows us outside the door. It shows us yeah, outside. Then, <laughs> then first time in a Zemeckis movie, there's barely any nudity in Zemeckis verse at all, right? I guess we're going all the way back to used cars. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess butts, but butts but. don't really count. But yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as uh, what, what, you, what you call in the MPA full frontal nudity, uh, or even partial. No, it's full in this, but um, yeah, the the basically the opening of this movie is a slightly out of focus shot of a nipple, and if that doesn't throw you off in an amazing way, when you whether you know who 
Zemeckis is, or you just know who Denzel Washington is, or you know what an Oscar bait style movie is. If that doesn't throw you off immediately, <laughs> that's why my poor mom, I'll never forget this. Uh, Cause yeah, I'm like two years out of college. I'm living in Denver. And I remember my mom called me and she was so upset. She was like me and your dad and all of our friends, which means all the church friends, right? So this is like the crew that I grew up with, my parents and their friends who all started a church together because no one loves Denzel Washington more than white Christian women. No one. Well, except maybe white Christian dads. <laughs> it's a toss up, but <clears throat> they all went to see it. 10 of them went to see flight because Denzel cannot and will not do any wrong. Obviously none of them ever saw Mississippi Masala uh, or he got game or any of that. But once Denzel was in like Philadelphia, mode they never missed one um and they all went to see it and they were devastated on every level like one they didn't realize because it's just such a great story um but mostly because they were like i can't believe denzel would portray this kind of behavior <laughs> well and it's also like probably like it's the least like showy denzel performance i can think of since the early days, probably since Mississippi Masala, actually. Yeah. That one's very that one's very low key. He's yeah. he's giving so much, but he's doing so little. Like yep. it's all I mean, that's the brilliant of casting of this movie is like oh. he is using <clears throat> the image of Denzel Washington, which is in itself a Oscary image. It's a monolith. And, it's a monolith of like respectability. Right. Yeah, and, and you start it with a nipple, and very quickly, a crazy camera move while he does a line of cocaine after he realizes he's got to get to work. Yeah, and before that line of which is, I love that that line of like it's like Scorsese does this too, where it it's like, he, I never thought about it, but Marty's definitely shouting out "Flight" and "Wolf of Wall Street," and even <laughs> in like the the dumb vinyl show, I do love these guys that have done so much cocaine, like still think that like. I mean, it's a movie. That's how you portray it. But if only cocaine hits you like it did in those movies. Yeah, it only does if you are already on a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's like, God, they make cocaine seem way more fun than it actually is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe it's that maybe it's that that uh, airplane coke though. They're flying all over the world. Maybe they got that shit straight from Colombia. <laughs> oh yeah, not stepped on. This is good. Really cut well. Yeah, I would say, yeah, it's probably 80%, would you say, yeah. 75? Um, but <laughs> We're not <okay>. distracted. <laughs> Moving on, we, we, we want to convince you to give us money, and it's not going to be for that. So, um, We're both retired, that's genuine. We are retired, yes. We are. Uh, that's, that is true. But uh, that, that, that opening shot, though, is like, it's one shot, and I was reading about like he uses some of his mocap technology in that shot to basically create a digital split screen so that he could time out the movements of the woman uh, in the room with Denzel and Denzel's movements to like correspond to one another. Wild. Yeah. Like, an insane thing to do for detail. Yeah. And again, the why we so often harp on Zemeckis being truly of old Hollywood in a good way is the invisible filmmaker. Yep. Because you never, you can't, if you look for it, yeah. once you read that. Book, shot, but yeah. Well, but yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, um, not even the most part, a lot of shit like that are those moments where like that could be the lead, right? Of like promotion for this movie even, but you never know it unless you read that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's he is so good at this point. Hold on, I gotta find my chapstick. Well, that's why he can combine those things so effortlessly too. Like the, yeah. you know, the even the upside down shot in the fucking witches that we're talking about, but it's why it's why he can do those moments like the Coke moments but that's not what the movie's about. Mm -hmm. And he does what a real filmmaker does where that is a quick moment where maybe the viewer goes, holy shit, but you've forgotten about it already in 10 seconds because he's a real filmmaker. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So he, yeah. So the movie kind of hinges upon him getting on this flight. He's been, he's doing cocaine. He's drinking. He's smoking a weird looking joint. Um, <laughs> it kind of made me think of the uh, one of the many indicators that Tarantino accidentally lets himself do. Uh, where they smoke like the acid dipped joint in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is impossible to anyone who does acid knows if you put heat to it, it stops existing as anything psychedelic. So that wouldn't work. But it made me think of that where I was like, what is that? that Yeah, they're smoking. Yeah, it looks like you. I remember thinking it looks kind of like a little crack pipe, but it's not. Yeah, I was like, wait, well, rewatching it for a moment when I saw it, I was like, chill I? it's probably just a chillum. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. But I was when I when I saw it for a moment, I was like, have I forgotten that he also smokes fucking PCP before he goes on this plane? And I'm so glad I don't think that's it because I remember thinking no, that being like, oh, don't need that. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. Yeah. So he gets on this flight and it has some problems we're introduced to his uh, co-pilot who is hilarious nervous nelly just one of the most repugnant characters in cinema history oh just a, a jittery intense christian boy i grew a up a little maybe kids. a little racist too he seems a little like let me this black guy he looks like well, i don't yeah. know this guy he's coming in that's what yeah. I said. Intense, jittery Christian boy. That comes oh, with racism. That does come with racism. And it's just what, really well done because another movie might have made a mo- more overt reference to that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This is like real life where someone wouldn't be like, say something racist. You know, they would quietly subsume it. Yep. And it would come out in other ways. Yep. Yeah, it comes out like in invisible ways, like the way the Democratic Party does it. So, <laughs> so... He uh he gets in the thing. The flight's uh, going down. He has a couple of bottles of the the Svedka or Tito's or whatever the fuck's on the flight, and uh, he has a little screwdriver, which made me kind of disgusted with orange juice while I was watching it. I wish it just made me want a couple. Oh no, this viewers, this is where Will and I are on our diverting paths right now. Currently, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. That yeah, moment truly is amazing though because it's. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but he is on the intercom telephone on the plane talking to his passengers, um, one-handed doing this. one-handed, while with his left hand, unbeknownst to them, behind a wall, he is unscrewing two different vodka bottles and dumping it in to the orange juice while he's assuring them and like being you know charismatic as fuck again an amazing play on denzel washington as a persona hundred um, yeah. and why my mom was so hurt watching this movie because that my mom was the people on that plane who was like oh denzel he's gonna take care of us well, he's not. <laughs> well he is but not in the way you think that's what's so brilliant about it that's the, you just yep. hit on it that's the problem of the movie that is its greatest strength I mean, this is a professional. I mean, you should, no one, you're good if you're opening vodka bottles like that. And that's hard. Small bottles are hard to open one handed. They're harder than the big bottles by design. But yeah, it's like you've done this before. (laughs) So the plane, yeah, goes down in one of maybe the greatest, uh, like, set piece sequences of tension. He ups Castaway. He He does up Castaway. I know. I was telling my, uh, my viewing partner that like reminding them about castaway so much so that when this scene happens they nearly had a panic attack it is that intense and it is so masterful and you add you add the religious zealots uh to the culmination of this and that is just um but the way it's done and the way it's portrayed and the way they're portrayed uh is I think some of Zemeckis' most powerful stuff. He's definitely taking this idea of our perceptions of God fully thrown from what's alluded to and is the crux of the problem of Forrest Gump through to contact and now fully coming around. He kind of skips over with Castaway. I'm sure you could find those tones and things there, but 
this really I'm does, glad he does though. I think that was smart. It was smart because contact it's very much a part of what that movie is and now it flowers into fully what that idea is with flight and there's a lot of things uh, that pop up around this movie about uh, religion and god and people's illusory worlds i guess is one other way to put it you have um you have the drug addict world you have the the christian world i mean it's trad at this point to say like you know how silly christianity is and this did come out in 2012 but i think he does handle it pretty well and well but i think he does it in a more interesting way because he's not fully i think it's only like i think it's only trad to say to do the thing that is so in now which is to without any thought or conversation or engagement completely throw away a uh, something that has been a part of humanity since its inception. <laughs> I think the way he, religion is a through line through all through most of his stuff. I think is someone going like because it seems pretty clear to me that he's not Catholic. <laughs> that he in the no. way that he came up, but I also don't think he's just like yeah, fuck that shit. That's stupid. You know. Yeah, I think it's um, it plays into as much weight as you want to give the power of you know, characters that invest in the power of time or being governed by that or drugs or... Uh, yeah, he gives it anything that can put blinders on you. He gives yeah. the same respect and weight to. Or you're, yeah, or the characters in this, you're like your complete allegiance to the law and about not what the law is supposed to do, but what the law can be used to do. It's It's really all about putting your faith in an idea to see how that idea shakes out, which is the crux of the movie. So the crux of the movie is, does this man almost kill all these passengers on this plane because he was fucked up that morning and doing, you know, drugs and alcohol? Or is it that there was just a uh, a plane malfunction that probably happens when they're taking off in that great little foreshadowing scene? And it's just the result of people not wanting to see like he saves a bunch of people's lives by doing the one thing that only he can do and it could possibly be because that drunk mindset when you hit that leveling out that perfect level of leveling out you are so locked in and you're locked into survival like it makes me think of i likened it I was they say leveling out at the end of the movie when they're getting him ready they say we're leveling you out and uh-huh. he's leveling the plane out Yep. But it made me like his ability to do that made me think of, and it's truly not like a, you know, I'm not trying to be the, you know, just like, it's great that he was fucked up, (laughs) but it made me think of those moments. And I'm sure you've had them. And a lot of our listeners have had them where you are brutally fucked, right? Like whether it's whatever drug it is or combination of things it is. And then something really bad happens to one of your friends or just something at a club or wherever you are in the world. And you are able in that moment to fucking snap your fingers and get it done. And at times, again, I'm sure for a lot of people can relate to this, saving someone's life, right? Or stopping a potentially catastrophic thing from happening. Your ability to do that, even though you are in that headspace and potentially because you're in that headspace, you're able to do it without thinking, without letting any fear get in the way, without letting any logic in some cases get in the way. And those things do happen. And again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to like make a case. That's why I love this movie because that is a reality where people made a choice that they, for all intents and purposes, probably would not have made if they were not in the state that they were and because yes. of that, things went a better direction than they possibly could have if they were not. Yes. He flips a plane over to yeah. run it out. You don't do that. You don't learn they, that in flight school. Right? They don't. You learn that in the Navy mm-hmm. where he comes from. And we'll get back to maybe what he's getting at when we talk about the yes. war. That's what we've been hinting at since probably the inception of the show is my stupid theory that I weird think weirdly think holds water. So he... He, you're right. He has to do that to save these people because everyone thinks he's crazy when he's doing it. But later in the movie, when they say like, no one else could have done this. We tried it with like 10 of the best yeah. pilots and they all crashed the plane. 
only he could do it. So what you the movie is trying to set you up to expect, and we'll get to the other character that he interacts with. We can't forget that. But it's setting you up for this redemption story of this guy who is going to overcome the things that are causing him error in his life. And there is that story, but what he gives you instead is a larger than life, not really connected to reality version of the media and the world turning to not investigate what he did exactly, but his own soul and his own problems. Like it's so perfectly illustrated in the scene where he gets fucked up after he loses Nicole or not Nicole, whatever her name. Is it Nicole? I think, is it? Because it's Nicole and Marwin, but I, I don't know. I might just be no, getting all I don't remember. But he, he goes to see his ex-wife, and there's that really sad, uncomfortable scene with he and his son. Oh, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's just like Cassavetti's level brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the closing of love streams. <laughs> yeah, really like is. any scene in Woman Under the Influence. So he he has that moment, and this movie is trying to tell you that this is not a realistic drama in that way because the second he all this horrible scene happens he's reversed out the door and suddenly all these like cameras and mics just show up in his face all of a sudden that would never happen in real life but what we're seeing is him being like poetically put on trial to come to terms with not what really he did to save people's lives because that suddenly goes into the background. It's how everything else has ruined everything else in his life. And it's it's just brilliant because it really misdirects you, this movie. And it's very oh, easy. Step of the way. Yeah, it, it's really... Mis- with yeah. the person you mentioned, again, we're bad with details on this show, but her name, I can't remember Denzel's name in the movie either, but uh, yeah. the the woman that comes into his life She's also a misdirection. Yeah. Every step of the way. I mean, there's a lot to get into it with. I don't think he's Nicole. Oh my God. There's that's two. Look at that. Oh, interesting. Is it an E though? This one's got a knee, but maybe that's (laughs) the joke. Maybe that's the joke in the other one. Okay. Okay. Well, Nicole is an E, Mm -hmm. Um, but she, uh, yeah, she's, she's also an addict, but she's clean. She's already, she's made by the time she meets him, she's made the choice um to become clean they meet and obviously no surprise to any of our listeners who know me in real life um i always cherish especially post 2000 a scene centered around smoking cigarettes i love it so much it outside of my own obviously you know addiction or love for it it's a huge part of human history and i love when people understand it and actually use it as a great moment in a story and this is one of the best um in the hospital where denzel sneaks out to smoke a cig nicole is already there smoking a cig and then they meet another dude who already has his death sentence who has come to try to bum a cig because he smelled him yeah (laughs) and yeah i mean at least me i remember the first time i saw this movie even at that age and earlier in my movie obsession times but uh i remember when we met her well, we meet her before that, but I remember by this point in the movie, I was groaning in my head, right? I was like, this is going to be so fucking annoying. Um, but it's not that. It's a huge misdirection. Um, some of the things that you expect to happen do happen, but they're all very purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like them sleeping together. Oh, that but scene that, is so hot. That scene is really hot, which is also an odd misdirection. Um, and atypical for Zemeckis not only is sex stuff not often there but if it is it's normally cynical Um, but he lets that scene be sexy because also that is a truth again we've talked about this amongst these episodes but clearly Zemeckis himself or people in his life were very intensely into the world of substance abuse uh, because again not a defense but you know who has the hottest sex addicts I'm sorry but oh, especially yes. when you're trying to get sober, good God, good God! Well, think um, of the think of the pay, just the the pathos uh, going into that. Oh, when you put everything, you don't need a it. sandstorm to really jack that one up. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, it does such a good way of showing why one reaches for substance. Yes, and and 
in in the amazing way that is both non-judgmental but also yeah. never letting anyone off the hook it's just so realistic it's very non-judgmental and i think he even takes it to like i mean he does take it to moments that you wouldn't expect like what struck me this time is like the the puritanical way people address his problem not just the religious guy and his wife but like when he goes to the funeral and he's talking to his uh, flight attendant that's a brutal scene too brutal but it works on two levels because it's like yes it's very brutal what he's like asking her at this funeral when we clearly we don't really know the exact extent extent of how he felt about this person that died it's probably a lot deeper than the movie lets on and that you think because of that illicit again it puts you in a puritanical mindset of well if they're fucking in a hotel and they've got drugs and alcohol that must be not love that must be just fucking and Mm -hmm. so when that scene happens and she's like uh he's asking her to like like basically just be like she well she first she's like gets her son to come over and be like you saved my mom's life you saved all these people's lives by doing what you did and then when it's uncomfortable that he asks her to do it but it's also uncomfortable how what we've just seen that all he's asking is there was a technical thing that could fuck me and i'm just asking you to just pretend like that didn't happen and she's like but i can't tell a lie and it's kind of fucked up because it's like well he just saved every your life everybody's like you would all be in that pine coffin too and you're now bringing this kind of like under the surface puritanism of being like but that pure black and white the pure black so it works on two levels that he is putting her in an uncomfortable position but she's also being weirdly like cold to him in that way like not understanding that like you wouldn't be here if it weren't for what he did. And that doesn't excuse how he treats his life, but that's not the issue. And that's what the movie is getting at. It's like, it's not a matter that he did that. Like that's a separate issue. So that scene really packs a punch on that level. And then the people that he goes to to further this, that are going to be the most puritanical, the greatest flip ever in the movie. Cause you're just like, Oh God, he's going in. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> And then it just flips on you. And suddenly he's like fucking uh, Jake Busey yep. in, in contact. And they're just like, praise Jesus. And I even love how he goes into the scene being like, yeah, he's like, uh, God knows you've been through a lot. Like he clearly uses. So that's the other thing with him is like, he doesn't seem to ever until maybe the end of the movie, he doesn't really ever want to get sober to help himself. He does and says things to get himself off the hook. The opening is like you think he's throwing all this away because of what he's experienced, but what's happening that he's not saying is that he probably knows that they're going to find that something about his blood alcohol, the bottles, and he's doing it to get away from it because as soon as he knows he's fucked again, he's back off the wagon. Yep. So, well, it's that it's that it's the the self-damnation mindset that Zemeckis understands about addicts. And Zemeckis gets that so intensely. And it's part of why this movie hurts so much to watch because it refuses to take any hard line on either side. And it's, sh- yes, 100%. And it shows you just how full of shit the kind of the surrounding world is. I mean, it, like the the guy who uh, owns the football team or whatever, also oh. the airline, it's like, he even has that line. He's like, well, that made me think about doing some lines right now. But because I don't want my airline to go down, I'm going to blame it on this motherfucker for doing cocaine, this black man. Mm-hmm. And we're going to blame it on it. And like, you know, that's that's one example. And then you also have the scene towards the end where they're, uh, well, one, the John Goodman character you think is going to have like a, he's hilarious and terrifying. But like, you so think, you think he's going to have that moment where Whip's like, enough, you need to stay away from me. I hate you never happens never happens in fact he shows back up to get for the trial where he's about to go explain uh what happened on the flight he gets fucked up in a great scene i mean the, the brilliant haunting scene where he's in his hotel room he's oh, that, the, sober. The, hold, the hold on the small bottle oh. before he oh and the fact that he doesn't break to a wider shot very he grabs it 
Oh, it sucks. It made him want to fucking throw up. It's amazing. It feels like a horror movie when he's it going does. into that room. And well, it also does a great clicks. job of showing the boredom of being sober. Yes. And why a sound like wind slightly moving a door becomes, like you said, a horror movie. Yeah. It, you can't ignore it because you know that he knows what that is. Because yeah. he looks at it so many times and he knows goddamn well that means the other room is open. He knows it is, but he tries so hard. Yeah, he tries so hard, but he, he not hard enough. And uh, he can't do it. Up. He can't fight it. So John Goodman's got to come save the day. But it's amazing, too, that he shows that that's not really his friend. Right. Right. But he's also not judging John Goodman's character, which is also amazing. Which is amazing. That guy is not his friend. They've known each other clearly for decades. From right? before, when they were in the Navy together, yeah. Yeah. They know, each, they know each other so intensely and deeply, but those are not friends. No. Really. Because it's, well, it's the moment where, you know, Goodman's clearly ready to pull out a machete and cut someone's head off if he doesn't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> Like, 100%, yeah and yeah, like he is a dealer and it's not to be forgotten but it's also not to be forgotten that no one else on planet earth could have gotten denzel even into a walking position to go yeah. into court except yeah. that man who was in war with him where he learned how to flip that plane where he learned how to do drugs for sure where he learned where how to make a cocoa puff yeah yep. He does all, he everything that haunts him to this day and that also saved people to this day. Yes. He loved it with that man. And the other two people in that room who we're supposed to think are the good guys throughout this movie really do not turn out to be that. In fact, one is just a lawyer who clearly is just doing a great lawyer. He's just a great lawyer. He's like almost a robot. He's like one of the CGI characters. He's like a mocap character. And then you have his buddy who's just trying to save his pilot's union. Yep. And they're all together in the scene. And suddenly all their like hysterical, puritanical, you know, hand wringing goes out the window when they know, oh, I guess the thing that we hate now he has to use it to get us our money and keep our union. Okay, go ahead. So much so that they're like, all right, pay him. And the lawyer just greatly, it's such a great scene. He gives the money to him to pay him, knowing that if I exchange it, <laughs> Yep, it's so him. good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. The way the way he fucking shakes his head. Mm -mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's amazing. And then you get to the you get to the final scene, and because we've been talking about this for a while, you get to the final scene, and Zemeckis ain't done thrilling you. And one thing people like to say about this movie is that it blows its load with the plane scene, and then the rest of it can't come like. Can't Wait, be people calm. say that? Oh no, that's uh, yeah, that's in a lot of reviews I've read. What? And which is which is wild because only everything else from that point is movie? just as thrilling, especially oh, that just scene. Just as horrifying. And just as horrifying when he's in that scene when he's being interrogated. Oh. The scene that is so brilliant is when they're about to reveal something on their PowerPoint presentation, and she's like, "Okay, the technology is breaking down." Zemeckis. Uh, let me, uh, yeah, Zemeckis having a little loves fun there. He loves cheap machinery, and it's just an excuse to prolong the tension for a beat for a minute more. It's so fucking it's smart. It's and, so he get, and also just like to, I just have to highlight Zemeckis' filmmaking skill and also why he, I imagine it was a career-long thing wanting to work with Denzel because Denzel, wow. in my opinion, Denzel is almost always wasted in his whole career. Mm -hmm. Because to me, to me, truly, he is a he is a human existence legendary level actor. Yeah. But he almost never gets to actually show it. Yeah. Because it's too simple, or it's just you know whatever. It's yeah. almost always too simple. One of the moments that I oh my god I did the like full on like snort cry thing, uh, in that courtroom scene, um, when. Right, he's clearly trying to decide if he's going to stick to it, mm -hmm. if he's going to lie, because he knows he's off the hook if he does. And she does too, and that's also what's brilliant, is the woman interrogating him knows the truth, but is giving him the chance to perpetuate this lie so they can all go home and everything's yeah. easy. Everyone in that room knows the truth. Yeah. And so it's when they're asking if he believes that uh, his girlfriend or lover, whatever you want to call her, drank those two bottles of vodka. 
And it's this insane moment where her picture is so big up on the screen. It's so sad. So big. And you see, it's just this one moment. You see Denzel just like side glance over to her picture for a split second. He doesn't look at her picture when it first goes up. He hurts his eyes from looking. He doesn't. He will not look at it because he's going to lie. But you see him look and his entire posture, face, hands, everything changes in an instant in the most subtle way and it, oh my god i'm gonna cry right now talking no, about it it gave me a it's chill crazy. and it's yeah. like you said this puritanical shit which zemeckis is fucking with where people are just like oh they're just they just fuck each other they just party they just fuck each other mm-hmm. but that moment tells you if you didn't know before everything you need to know is that again for better or for worse people like that who are on these downward spirals feel things very intensely and it is hot or cold, but it is very intense, you know? And those two found something in each other. And also the detail given to us that she also had been in and out of rehab yep. and that she was also in the same boat as him, but that they had found, and that's what where that love comes from, right? They fucking loved each other. And it is known so intensely with the way his body changes. And oh. he's being reminded of Nicole, that yep. he just lost her, mm-hmm. that he's realizing not so much that I need to do the right thing and protect her image, which is part of it. But I think what he's realizing is between her and Nicole, it's like, I'm going to keep doing this forever. I'll just keep doing this forever. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's when he has that too, where he realizes that with his wife, whereas his anger for her completely subsides. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there, it's not for naught that, um, the uh nicole and whip's relationship kind of weirdly mimics the forest jenny relationship mm-hmm. almost in like an inverse way where like well forest falls ass backwards and everything lives on a plantation as a white man where whips <laughs> like, lives on a farm that they've clearly there's not a plantation the black man does not fall ass backwards and everything has to like have developed skills and um Ginny, it's almost like a corrective with Ginny, where it's like, oh, you thought this was some moralizing about the Ginny character. So we're gonna give you this character who can get sober right off the bat, sticks to it. And you know, like the scene where she's leaving him really oh, reminded yeah. me of the scene where Ginny's leaving Forrest's house. Mm-hmm. Just really sad. But again, I don't think Zemeckis has ever gotten away from Forrest Gump. And I think no. um it, it it shows itself here. All right, let's move on because this now might just be have become a flight episode as we tend to do. Let's just, why don't we just do a flight and walk episode and then do an ally. Yeah, we'll cut it. All right, so yeah. moving on. Now we're getting to... The walk. The walk, a contentious spot for us. For everyone who is a fan of Zemeckis, everyone. Except those people that wrote shitty reviews of marwin that were like it's not a good movie like well but those aren't zemeckis fans no they're not the this is the, the first time that joseph gordon levitt worked with zemeckis and then the second time was uh in pinocchio that we yeah. covered last yeah. episode <laughs> yes I, I i liked him as the cricket yeah, he's got a he's got a he's got a cute friendly voice so before will tells me his revelations with this i'll just say my feelings on the walk real quick i think the walk starts off so poorly i think half that movie is just one about the roughest things to sit through the stoner guys are two of the most like algorithmically written characters of a stoner i've ever seen depicted this amelie bullshit version of parrot (laughs) is wild so much so that i have to i might think that he just he almost finds this petite character so repugnant that he is he seems to be going out of his way to make that movie at the beginning so off-putting. There you go. I might be giving it too much credit, but maybe oh. that. Okay, well let's let's unpack that then. I guess. I mean, I. Uh... You're on. You're fucking on, man. You gotta I... just okay. Think of it. Put yourself in the headspace of how he thinks about the character of Forrest Gump. Put yourself in the headspace of how he thinks about the character. Um, and possibly the real person from Marwin. Mm. Put yourself in the headspace of how he thinks of Beowulf and every 
a mythical creature like that throughout history and then think about what the first you know 45 minutes or whatever of the walk is and i will say i do think it failed i do think he didn't do it right i was gonna say yeah but it's one of the thing it is one of the murkier parts of zemeckis that we'll get into more with marwin um and if that's what you have an issue with i do get it but zemeckis is very interesting in the world of public people where he has no issue taking to task someone who maybe is uh, um, neurodivergent or who is differently abled um, and who is a man. He doesn't do it with women, but when it comes to men, if someone has whatever, whether you, you want to call it a disability or a superpower like Kanye, truly, he has zero issue taking that to task and ridiculing them to make a point. And yes. to me, I think, I think he, um, also because from what I understand, he came to this story, he didn't know who this was, he'd never heard of it. He missed it when it happened. When the actual walk happened, he didn't hear about it. It was years down the line when this movie was being chopped around, someone brought him up and he was like, holy shit, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. Who is this person? So he got obsessed first with the act. Oh, the for thing sure. That he did, for sure. The thing that he did. And then, from what I can tell, he dug into who this person was and was like, what? <laughs> this dude sucks. He's an empty, vapid, nothing person who's a total idiot. And, has nothing, yeah, and who has like nothing of interest about him at all. His yeah. story is stupid. I think he also, in my opinion, was like, his story is bullshit. It's clearly made up. None of this is true. This is not how anything happened, the way uh -huh. he presents himself, uh -huh. which to me is why he made the beginning of the movie to look like a shitty fucking Apple commercial. <laughs> and why he made it, because it is, it feels it like a Steve Jobs, yeah. like weird ad where someone's yeah. like about how to like click mouses. Like, yeah. you know, like we have this technology. It feels like someone's about to introduce me to some technology. Well, he's, and, he looks like Steve Jobs up there being yes, like, what do you mean? I'm going to I'm gonna spin the world like a basketball yeah. on my finger. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that he made sure to make Joseph Gordon Levitt's eyes make him look like a goddamn alien. Like it's it's so over the top. He looks uh, good. Actually, also like JGL was like, no, I'm learning French for this. And uh -huh. the fact that JGL in some Wolf of Wall Street style, in my opinion, he trained with Philippe to be able to do those tight walk things. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it's the same way that Scorsese brought what's his face, the Jordan real Melfort. brought Jordan into the making of Wolf of Wall Street at every level. Mm. To me, it's a similar thing where neither of them, because Jordan definitely doesn't realize at all, because he's insane and a sociopath. He doesn't realize at all what Marty was doing with Wolf of Wall Street and that it was an indictment of that world at all. He has no clue. He's still trying to make money off of it. He's still, yes, he has no clue. And I think <laughs> that Zemeckis was doing that same thing here because he was like, this is one of the most incredible human feats that's ever happened, and I love it. Mm -hmm. And the person who did it is a fucking waste of space. And I think he went too far with his method and was like, you know what? Everything except for the one worthwhile thing this guy ever did, which was walk a fucking tightrope way up in the sky, is going to be as abysmal as it is when I called him the first time on the phone. That's what hit me this morning when I watched it. And I do, again, I think he went too far as far as this kind of movie. Because um, unless he was making something like that was you know, I don't, I don't know, like really grungy or something. Like right. fucking, if he's making angst, like, right? You know what I mean? Like if he's making yeah. a serial killer movie. This works, but he's not. He's making a tightrope walking movie, and so it really makes it a like a wildly unpleasant experience for the audience. And that's never happened in this kind of movie, as far as I'm aware. And that's what, yeah, that's what hit me this morning is I think Zemeckis really deeply hates this person and wanted us to hate him as much as he did. Well, 
I would agree. I okay. I do see what you're saying. I think that has convinced me a little bit more. I'm with you. It's not. He maybe doesn't pull it off, but I see what you're saying. No, he does, I, he does not I think you're right. But I think like what you're saying with like this is what would befit a serial killer. It's not for naught that he makes a very. He tries to draw similarity between these guys and uh, people who are might be terrorists. Mm-hmm. In fact, at one point, someone even says the line like. Why are you guys like terrorists? Why do you need all this equipment? Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my my crackpot tinfoil theory. Because what else are we going to say about the rest of the movie? He goes on this great, amazing walk. Well, it's incredible when he does the walk. Yeah. And that makes sense. Because Zemeckis, yeah. I just don't think Zemeckis ever made a movie about someone he fully hated until this. And that's why it didn't yeah. work. Because I don't think he's ever encountered a character he couldn't find sympathy for. Till right. This. Exactly. And we're not going to talk about how masterful the walk scene is. It's beautiful. It, yeah, it looks amazing. It's maybe when you see it on the big screen, Sean, you'll see how cool it looks. But what's happening at this point is we are now entering where the movie really kicks in. So we alluded to that there's this kind of like that they look like terrorists. And I might even be that he's he likes to poke fun at his buddy Steven Spielberg's movies. It could be that he's poking fun at Munich a little bit. But what we're seeing is Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his crew break in to the Twin Towers. Now, if you are someone out there who reads Peter Dale Scott or you watch Loose Change or something, like you might have some theories about what's what 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 the hell happened with 9/11. Now, we're not going to go into that. Will's in the bat way. There he comes. Okay, he's laughing. <laughs> we are not going to get into that. Uh, but we will talk about, I'm going to briefly mention a couple of things that have stuck with people. You can call them 9-11 conspiracy people, whatever you want to call them. I, or me, I don't, uh, I don't think that, uh, I think we've had enough time to get out of baby brain mindset in this world that I think we know some real shady shit happened there. So... I suspect, and I don't can't say that you know Zemeckis is a truther, but there are two things that have always stuck out to people about 9/11 that seem kind of funny. Now, one involves the plane that hit the Pentagon, and the plane that hit the Pentagon had to do a corkscrew maneuver to hit the Pentagon at that level. Hmm, so, kind of like flight. A little like flight. Someone that maybe only one of a hundred people could land a plane that way, mm-hmm. statistically speaking. Now, as you recall, these dang hijackers. <laughs> <laughs> these these dang hijackers got me again. <laughs> we always talk like where we're from when we do voices. Like I know that. we do. So mm-hmm. a lot. This is that man. That's where I saw loose change for the first time. Oh. Hell yeah. In Kansas City. So um, now there's problems with loose change. We're not going to get into that, but there are some things that are pretty interesting. So this is one. That corkscrew maneuver to hit the Pentagon, as you can tell from the movie Flight, that would be a very hard thing to do. Now these dang hijackers, when they were in Florida and they were staying at a house that was owned by the wife of a CIA agent. No. Weird. um, They were repeatedly told and reported to the FBI by their flight instructors because they did not know how to do it. They were the worst flyers imaginable, like so bad. They were addicted to going to strip clubs. That was all they wanted to do was go see ass and titties. They were not good. They they kept flunking out and they kept someone kept uh, some well, someone got them a green card and then someone kept paying for their flight school and uh, just kept trying so much so that they were reported. Now, when that plane hit, it seems kind of weird that uh, people this bad at flying might hit the Pentagon and pull a corkscrew maneuver. Interesting. It's also interesting that um, when the flight was found, the black box was destroyed. Didn't think the black box could get destroyed, but it was destroyed. So for that to destroy the black box, but somehow all of the hijackers passports unscathed found amongst the rubble mm. somehow those didn't burn up but it was very easy when donald rumsfeld was already on the pentagon lawn before it happened 
Mm-hmm. You quickly go out there with a team before any one of the re- actual like rescue crew could come in. Dude, I don't know. Who knows what he was doing over there? Maybe he's just taking a look. He was Hold just saying prayers. Prayers. Yeah, he was just praying. Condolences. He was just really hurt. Yeah. So before we get lost in the weeds, <laughs> that is very interesting parallel with flight. That that is what the movie hinges on. That's pretty interesting. I guess you could stop your wondering there, except we get to fucking the walk. Now, this is pretty clear because this is dealing with the Twin Towers. Uh Okay. So the other big issue is how did those towers go down the way they did? Now, I know you're all probably sick of hearing about how jet fuel can't melt steel beams. But at this point in our world, it's been pretty much thoroughly discussed that that would be amazing if jet fuel melted all those steel beams in the building it would also not account for the explosions that seem to come from the buildings which is still like we truly were the country that (laughs) saw forest gump the way it was meant to be the way they it was seen the writing was on the wall as it were (laughs) it's just like the writing was on the wall (laughs) don't get right (laughs) <laughs> don't watch 9-11 footage if you don't want to. I did recently to prepare, prepare for this. It's pretty upsetting shit still. Yeah, it's not um, fun. It's not fun. It's really, really upsetting. So, But the, the jet fuel melting steel beams. Now, a lot of people believe that there might have been controlled explosives put inside crucial points inside the World Trade Center. A bunch of fucking uh, re- on uh, MSNBC and CNN. Well, they're not re- a lot of beeps here. They're very calculated, <laughs> evil motherfuckers yeah. who are quick to tell you that that is not true. Like, yes, that can happen. So here's a little uh, uh, thing for some of our uh, more Forrest Gumpy listeners. Um, <laughs> they don't really ever have to believe the people who are the talking heads on CNN. Usually... Well, we won't go into it, but usually those are from the opposite side trying to pretend they're on the right side. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons, but it was very interesting how quickly that was figured out. So a lot of people just kind of let that go. But over time, it does look a little more suspicious when you get away from the hype and the partisanship around it. So it's like, yeah, well, it kind of does seem like maybe some controlled explosives are in there. But these people on the TV told me that on Rachel Maddow that that's impossible. How would anyone get controlled explosives up there to set off? It's the World Trade Center. Well, this fucking idiot and his bunch of frog morons, I guess he's the only frog, but (laughs) these absolute bumbling idiots who are very similar to characters in used cars find their way up the building. And they are able, when this is when the movie really kicks off, they are able to hide inside the World Trade Center for a wild amount of time (laughs) um, to pull off a trick where this person is going to attach all these very complicated wires. I mean, the set, they breeze through it in the movie, but the setup to make that happen probably took forever. Now, what else could you do with that amount of time? (laughs) Maybe if you were like a mercenary or an ex or current FBI, CIA agent. How would you get in there? I guess you'd dress up as a custodian like they do. Hmm. I guess you would uh, take probably less time than setting up a, uh, a tightrope and could probably install some some gel bombs and shit on crucial points. Hmm. Maybe. So my point being, these are two major plot parts. Like These are major moments in the plot, like kind of the whole thing that this thing is structured on. Uh, for these two Zemeckis movies, and they deal with that back to back. I don't know if that's what he's getting at, but I must say, it's a little, it's a little odd. Mm-hmm. It's a little odd, but there you go. If someone who is more um, truthery than me wants to take this up and find more connections for the post nine eleven Zemeckis, let us know. I'm I sure there's so much. I mean, the next movie we're going to talk about could kind of dip into that a little bit. You can make the connection. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So let's move on to that. 